Well, good morning again. I'm uh, just very excited to, to continue in our, our study through the book of Colossians. And uh, so far, I've just been highly impacted in my own life as I've been looking at, at the Colossian people and uh, just what God's doing there and the ways he's warning them. And today will be no different. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, if you want to turn there. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. And to get us caught up, so far we've seen in Colossians that God has done an amazing work in the Colossian people's lives. Uh, not all of them, but you know, the, the believers there. They had heard the gospel, they had understood it as the truth from God, and they had received this gospel into their lives, this gospel of Jesus. And as they received Jesus, he gave them a new hope, and he gave them new life. And that's what we talked about much last week, is this new life, and how Paul was saying, this new life given to you in Christ is enough. And he says, you know, we saw um, before that Jesus is supreme. That's, that's why it's enough to have Jesus in you. He's supreme over all creation. He's supreme over the church. Jesus is supreme. But the problem was, and what we're going to see today, is there were people in the city of Colossians that had a different belief about the sufficiency of Jesus. They felt that you couldn't just have faith in Christ alone. That's, that's too simple of a faith. We, we need to add something. You know, we got to do something special. We got to be a special kind of person, you know, and add that to Jesus. That's what we really need to be saved. That's what we really need uh, to, to mature. No, I want to say these, uh, these false teachers or whatever you'd like to call them had not yet infiltrated the church. They, they hadn't broken in. They hadn't, you know, become the pastors or anything, but they were trying to. <laughs> they were trying to dissuade the, these Colossian believers uh, away from this simple faith. They're trying to, to pull them. And we'll see that not only were they, they teaching that, that you need to add these things, but they're actually intimidating them. They're saying, look, guys, you are missing it. You know, they're, they're trying to show them with this fear, this condemnation, this judgment— you, you guys need to add these things to Christ. What you have isn't enough. He is not sufficient. And they're doing this with intimidation. But Paul, today in what we'll see, is going to show them that they should not be intimidated uh, by, by these people, by these uh, false teachers. They certainly shouldn't be persuaded, and they certainly shouldn't be uh, compliant to what they're trying to tell them to add. You know, if you think about it, even the fact that these false teachers are having to intimidate them in order to get them to believe— that kind of shows you that it's probably not true, and it's certainly not good what they're trying to teach. It makes us think about this, the way we teach, right? The way we train up our kids, the, the way we try to reprove our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we have to do it with intimidation, it's probably uh, not the right thing. But anyways, that's, that's what they were doing. They had this intimidation. And if you think about it, in, in past weeks we said that the church wasn't to be built up by intimidation— it wasn't to grow and mature by intimidation. It was supposed to be built up in love. They were to be knit together in love. And that's what was going to give the church this confidence. That's what was going to help them as they sought Jesus for his wisdom, his knowledge. That's what was going to make them grow. So, God is showing us today. This, this is all very, very prevalent, um, even in our, our own churches uh, especially here in, in America, there's no room 
for this intimidation. There's no room for for forcing us to, to add things to Christ. There's no room for this. Let's read it. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as people who are are prone to err. We're prone to add things to Jesus. And God, I, I pray that you would show us our errors. God, help us to see the truth, to see the sufficiency of Christ, and to love it, to cling to him, God. And I pray that our lives would be changed as we get rid of any uh, religious baggage we've taken on, Lord. And as we take on more of the image of Christ, God, would you change us? I ask that you do that through your word today, in your son's name. Amen. So as I mentioned, Paul's saying, look, you guys, you don't need to be persuaded. You don't need to be intimidated by by these false teachers. You don't have to worry about adding something to Jesus. You look at it in verse uh, 16, he says, let no one pass judgment on you. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Uh, Verses 20 through 22, he says, why would you submit to regulations according to human precepts and teachings? So Paul's making it very clear. You guys don't have to worry about this. You you don't have to worry about these guys. You don't have to feel forced into what they want. Don't worry about what they say you need because Jesus is all you need and you have him. And so, and Paul says, so you guys don't have to worry about it. That's one category. Don't, Don't worry about them. But he also goes on in these verses, and we'll see this. He shows not only do you guys not need to be intimidated by these things, But if you were intimidated, if you were manipulated into changing your religion, you would actually be kept from growing in Christ. You would actually be be taking your eyes off of Jesus, off of your sufficiency, off of what you need, and you would be missing out. You would actually know, experience, and, and obey Jesus less if you conform to these false teachings. And so I'm going to show you three characteristic uh, teachings of these who are trying to intimidate them, who are trying to pervert the faith. These are three ways that they were missing the mark. And again, I hope you will listen up to all these ways. Don't, don't take it at just, you know, the face value of what they were struggling with. See how this might be in your life as well and in our life and even in our, our church. 
There, there are many ways we can miss the mark. Anyway, so the first teaching, you see that in your notes, the first teaching that Paul said they shouldn't be intimidated is, number one, self-achievement. I before E, self-achievement. <laughs> this would be, uh, another word for this would be the legalist teaching. These are a bunch of do's. They're, they're focused on, and their religion was based on, all the things that they must do. And this is most likely uh, people who grew up in the religion, uh, sorry, that grew up in the Jewish religion, and they'd have been there in Colossae. So they'd always had a list of do's, and they liked their list of do's. You know, that because when you have this list of things that you're supposed to do, boxes you're supposed to check, it's very easy to gauge your, your spirituality. Okay, I did that, I did that, I did that. Okay, I'm good, I'm good. And not only to gauge your own spirituality, but these guys were gauging the spirituality of others by these do's. Now, you might wonder, well, what, what is it? What is it that they were trying to achieve? Paul says there in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So we got food and drink, a festival, a new moon, and the Sabbath. Well, what those were, I'll just give you kind of a, a basic idea, is those were ceremonial laws given in, in the Torah and in, in the, the, the book of the law um, that they were supposed to follow, that the Jews were supposed to follow. So th there was a time when these were binding on the people who were following God. Honestly, the, uh, if you look at it, though, some of this stuff was additions. Because even in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, you, you don't see regulations on what they could drink. You see very few select people that had regulations. You had very few, and even those select people, it was just at certain times. So for instance, uh, the, Le the Levite priests weren't allowed to drink wine or strong drink before they go and serve in the temple. You don't, don't want your preacher sauced, you know, that's, that's kind of <laughs> what's going on there. And, and so even that, they say in these questions of food and drink, they're adding to the law, because unless you're a priest who's about to go in there, or if you've taken a, a Leverite vow, which is a, a whole another story, they were actually adding to the, the ceremonial laws, these questions of food and drink and festivals and new moon. And we know from, from scriptures, and I can't get all into it, but they were very prone to add to the law, to, to the, the Bible, to, we'll say. And this is actually something that we have uh, today. It wasn't compiled until about 200 AD, but they, they had what's called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is where the law told them to do something, okay? But they said, well, it says to, to do this, you know, to, to don't, I'm trying to think of uh, even the, the, the way you're supposed to do a sacrifice or something. We're supposed to do this, or we're supposed to have uh, these verses written uh, on our doors, and you know, but it doesn't give us specifics. And so what they would generally do is they would make up their own specifics. They, they'd have these priests, and they would look at the law, and they say, here is the specifics of how you're to carry that out. And over time, those oral traditions became equated with the law, even though they weren't. They were additions to the law. Anyway, so that's what they have here. And, and it says there, um, the, sorry, the, the, they're these human customs, and they're, they're treated as law. So what does Paul say about these? You know, we, we saw what, what they're calling out, these achievements, what they are. He says in verse 17 about these laws, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
So what's wrong with this list of do's that he was wanting them to follow, or sorry, that the intimidators were wanting them to follow? Well, according to this verse, these ceremonial laws had a purpose, and that purpose had been fulfilled in Christ. These ceremonial laws were meant to point to Jesus coming, and he had already come. So they weren't necessary anymore. I'll just show you. You got the food laws. The food laws, if you look in in Leviticus 11, I think, it shows these food laws, and it says these are so that you will be a holy, set-apart people. So God was using these food laws to, to, uh, to point them to the way they were a distinct people. But we know that when Christ came, he gave his Holy Spirit to make us a distinct people. We receive the Holy Spirit, and that's the distinction we get. We don't need the food laws anymore. The festivals, you know, you think of uh, the Passover, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of— uh, my mind's going blank now. Anyway, all these other uh, festivals that they had and the, for the Jewish people, and these were to look at past redemptions of God and also to point forward to the ultimate redemption. And we know that Jesus came and brought them that redemption. He fulfilled those festivals. Think the Passover lamb. Kind of sounds similar that Jesus is the lamb that was slain. So they didn't need to celebrate the Passover anymore. They didn't need to celebrate these festivals anymore. Uh, the new moon is very similar. The new moon, by the way, was uh, for them the first day of the month. And that was when they would uh, do their sacrifices and offerings. So he, they're saying you need to be doing your sacrifices and offerings. But again, those sacrifices were pointing to blood-bought atonement, blood-bought uh, forgiveness and substitution. And we know that Jesus is the final, was the final sacrifice. There's, there's no need for these animal sacrifices anymore. And even the Sabbath was, to, was pointing to the rest that God's people would have. But we know that Jesus fully and finally purchased that eternal rest for his people. So to keep the Sabbath in the way that these people meant it was, was no longer necessary. And if you say you're wrong, I say today's not even the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day, which is Saturday. So anyways, we, we don't need to push that one too far. But they didn't need to add anything to Jesus. They didn't need these ceremonial laws. Why? Because those ceremonial laws, these, these dues, were just pointing to something greater. He said there, it is a, a shadow. Uh, these are just shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What's a, what's a shadow? Think about it. What's a shadow? Well, a shadow, I don't know if you can see that shadow there. A shadow is just a lack of light because something is blocking the light source. So that, that shadow is not the actual thing. It's actually pointing to, it's showing, hey, there's something blocking the light source. And that's the idea with Jesus. It's saying there, there, there's these, these shadows, these ceremonial laws, these things that, that had to be done, but they weren't the point. They weren't the substance. The substance belonged to Christ. So I, I put there in your notes, this focuses on the custom rather than Christ. This, this custom. No, no, we, we've always done this. We need to do this. We have these laws. We have these, these regulations. We, we, we focus on these customs rather than Christ. They're more worried about doing than what Christ had done for them. And that's what we have here. So what does that look like in our day? What does it look like to, to, to base our Christianity, to regulate it, to, to, to gauge it by what we're doing? I was thinking, 
I mean, there, there's several examples, and we could uh, probably go all day, but, well, how about the idea that you have to even be at church every time the doors are open? Your pastor just said that. <laughs> that, that is a, a do that, that is not necessarily what God has for us. And, you know, we, we pressure people into it, honestly. This is what happens, this intimidation. Uh, I noticed, um, you know, that you weren't at the Wednesday night service this week. You want to talk about that, or— you know, what are we going to do here? You know, it's like, well, I mean, yeah, I missed the Wednesday night service. It's okay. But, but we, we pressure people. Man, uh, I just want to keep a brother accountable. It's like, ah, come on. You know, anyways, uh, I think there are other ways. Um, I think, let's see here. Oh, of course, we, we have to have the right music. It's got to be just right. We've got to use the right translation of the Bible, you know, <laughs> and, and whatever translation they're using is that right one, of course. Uh, we've got to use the, the theological churchy words. If you don't know these words, if you don't know these songs, if you don't use the right translation, then you're not a part of my clique. And then we, we segment off of these are the mature people, those other ones who have to use those lesser translations and don't know all the songs, they, they're, they're out of the clique. They're not in the in club. And I think that's how we do it. We've got these list of do's that we add on to, to Christ. Again, we could go on all day. Have you guys ever seen anything like that? I have. I have seen, in my lifetime, I've certainly seen this self-achievement, this legalism. Have any of you done this? Have any of you measured your salvation or even the, the salvation of others, their maturity, by doing these things? I have. I certainly have, have measured myself by what I do rather than what Christ has done. I'm going to tell you why... I think we do this. Why we make achievement, checking the box, um, the, the, the gauge, rather than trusting in Christ. I think number one, or first, not number one, I think you can do all these things, you can check all these boxes without even being a Christian. You can do it all. Think of the Pharisees. I mean, they're, they're just a great example. If they did it all, the, even Paul said, I, I, as to the law, I was blameless. I kept it all. But he didn't know Christ at that point. I think another reason we do this is it's a lot harder to get to know Jesus, to let him work on our lives, than it is to just follow a bunch of guidelines and rules and, okay, I'm good. It's a lot harder to have heart change, heart transformation. But you think of Romans 12, too, that we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That doesn't sound like a bunch of rules to me. That this renewal of your mind, this transformation of your heart. That's what Paul says. Don't, don't let anyone pass judgment on you about this self-achievement, this list of rules, focusing on the custom rather than Christ. That, that's not how you get saved. That's not how you mature. That's the first one. This self-achievement. List of do's. The next one we'll look at, number two in your notes, this, this false teaching and form of, form of intimidation is number two, self-experience. This experience. And I call it self-experience because you're probably more experiencing yourself than you're actually experiencing God if you follow these guidelines, if they're the, these false teachings. 
These people say that they truly experience God in these mystical and and hyper-spiritual ways, and you need to experience God in these mystical ways if you're to truly be saved and truly grow in Christ. You've got to be super spiritual. Listen to what Paul says about this. He says in uh, verses 18 and 19, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Don't let anyone disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, or or having these visions. Paul's basically saying, don't let people tell you that you've got to be this this mystical sort of spiritual person, this ultra-spiritual person to be a Christian, or, or even to be a strong Christian. I'll show you what those words mean, the asceticism. Asceticism is trying to show extreme humility. So what, what they would do is oftentimes they would withdraw from people for extended periods of time, or they'd even um, hurt themselves. They call it flagellation, you know, like they, they'd whip themselves, cut themselves to, to show their humility. I want to point out that that is ironic, by the way, that generally humble people don't have to show you that they're humble. They don't bother, they don't care to show you that they're humble because they are humble. Anyways, that's, that's what they're insisting on. You should be doing these ascetic practices to show us that you're truly humble. The next thing it said there is worship of angels. This is an interesting one, really. The worship of angels. So the Bible makes it very clear over and over again, you shall worship God and God alone. And yet they're saying, no, no, no. What you really need to have this, you know, amped up spiritual experiences is worship these angels. Worship in this way. Now, you say, how could people who, who, who say that they're ultra-spiritual do something that directly contradicts the Bible? Well, I think that might be why the rest thing there, the, 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 rest, the next thing there, rest, the next thing it says there, and they go on in detail about visions. Okay, yes, I know that we're supposed to worship God alone, and the Bible says it very clearly, but you don't understand. I had a vision. I was told that I was allowed and even supposed to worship angels. I'm too low to worship God. Even though Jesus, you know, made this way for us to worship God. No, no, I'll do it through angels. And, and the Bible tells me not to and that I have only one mediator and his name is Christ. But I'm going to go through these angels because I had a, an experience. You don't understand. How can you question this spiritual experience I had? You're just not as spiritual as me. You see what's going on here? They've got these, these mystical experiences that, that lead them on the, these wild goose chases trying to have the next high, this next amped up moment, and they, they don't even bother to see how Scripture would have them do it. They're, they're above Scripture because of their experiences. You know, when I hear about these visions, I, I start thinking, so uh, when did you start having these visions exactly? Was it maybe when you went out in the desert, you know, and started beating yourself? Was that when the visions started? You might want to see someone about that. But anyways, that's what they're saying. We're ultra-spiritual. We have these visions. We worship angels. What do you think uh, Paul uh, t- thinks about all this hyper-spirituality? Well, he says, rather than actually being humble, and rather than making them spiritually grow, it is making them, you see in the middle of verse 18, it's making them puffed up 
are prideful without reason, without reason. So they're proud and they got nothing to be proud of, is what he's saying there. By his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. He's saying these people are not humble by their asceticism, by their extreme spirituality. They're actually puffed up. This humility, this supposed humility, is actually springing from a pride that they want people to see how humble they are. And it certainly isn't making them mature. It says there that they're not even holding fast to Christ. And he's the one through whom the growth comes. And it says if you want this true growth, it's a growth from God. I think that's interesting, by the way, that it makes a distinction. Not just growth, but growth from God. Isn't it interesting that you can grow and it not be growth from God? A church can grow, but it not be growth from God? That's what happens when we we move away from his word. It seems like we're growing, but it's not this true growth. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And if we we separate ourselves from him, we shouldn't consider ourselves more mature or greater if we're having this growth, because it's not even coming from God at that point. Anyway, that's what we've got here is these people are are focusing, this is in your notes, focusing on the spiritual rather than the Savior. They focus on these spiritual things. They want these experiences. They want this mystical sense. And I want to say, yes, we should experience God. (laughs) We should experience Him the way He has given us. How does does this happen for us today? I don't want to go too far into this, uh, but one way I was thinking that this often happens, this experience-driven Christianity— is that this may be you, you may have heard people do this, but they go on and on about how convicting a sermon is. Man, that preacher just rocked me, you know. But then their life never changes. <laughs> how, how many years, how many weeks, you know, are you going to be convicted by sermons and you just love that feeling of this emotion welling up and never do anything about it? <laughs> never submit to God. That, that's this emotionalism, this spiritualism, this experience-driven Another way, uh, we talked about having the visions that allowed them to, to you know, um, go against Scripture. We often do this by pushing our own thoughts and our own beliefs into Scripture. So we, we read a verse and you say, oh, look, th- look at what I see here. Th- this is what this means to me. You might say, uh, I'm pretty sure that's not what that means in context. Oh, but the Spirit, you know, led me to see it this way. You know, the Spirit wrote a book, you know, with context, and, and, and this, this is what he's saying. He already wrote it, you know. He didn't lead you to some new, special, higher revelation. Now, I, I don't want to say that the Spirit is not involved as we read his word, but that's not what illumination is. Illumination helps us to see what is there, what God has revealed, not this, this secret, special wisdom. I tell people, or I think this, you know, yeah, I'm sure it is quite an experience, you know, to, to, to read the Bible by the seat of your pants, you know, let, let your imagination be your guide. You know, that, that probably is quite an experience. But I would rather experience God, His Spirit, speaking to me through His Word. And He spoke in context and in, in actual words that have actual meanings, <laughs> you know. So anyways, there are these experiences. That's, that's the last example I'll give on, on that. I could give many more. But the basic idea here is, We don't need this hyper-spirituality to be a Christian or or a strong Christian. What we need 
is Christ. He's the one through whom that we, we receive this growth. There's no room for this uh, self-experience, this hyper-spirituality to be an intimidation on us. The next false teaching that we have, that Paul gives us, number three, self-denial. So we had self-achievement. This is, I do these things, and now we have self-denial. I don't do these things, whether or not God told me I shouldn't. You know, I, I, they put these restrictions on themselves. This is, again, very similar to self-achievement. I feel proud of myself. I'm, I'm achieving uh, true Christianity by what I do. But this is focused on, I, I'm a true Christian because I don't do that. I, I don't do these things. It doesn't matter if the Bible doesn't actually prohibit them, but I don't do them, so that somehow makes me a better Christian. That, that's the logic here. And oftentimes it's, it's due to this fear of being tainted by sin and a fear of other people seeing them sin. And that's what drives these things. He says it in uh, verses 20 and 21. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, that's these uh, elementary teachings that the false teachers are teaching, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle. These are examples. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. So here's the important part. I want to, I got to make sure I point this out. When he is talking about these regulations, why do you submit to these regulations? He's talking about human precepts, human teachings, human regulations that are extra biblical. They're added to the Bible. And, and this just consumes this type of uh, person's mind. Think about the, the Pharisees, you know. They, they'd be walking around, they'd see uh, the, uh, the disciples, you know, picking heads of grain and brushing them off and eating them. Hey, hey why, are, why are your disciples doing work on, on the Sabbath, Jesus? They're just, they're just focused on that. It doesn't matter that they're hungry. Why are they doing work on the Sabbath? Hey, Jesus, how come, how come your, your disciples don't wash their hands, do the ceremonial washing before they eat? Hey, Jesus, why do you heal on the Sabbath? How, how dare you do a good deed on the Sabbath, is it more or less? And they're obsessed with this. They're obsessed with, no, 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 we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to do that. This type of thinking, as in your notes, focuses on the regulation rather than on the Redeemer. It focuses on the regulations rather than the Redeemer. And Paul's saying this type of thinking is wrong. It's not what pleases God if they think they're pleasing him by what they don't do. He says in verse 23, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That, that's an amazing and, and heavy-packed verse. I'm going to read that again. These, these human teachings, these human regulations, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in it stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can pile on as many rules you want in your life and still be just as sinful. Now, you may outwardly sin less. You know, people won't, won't see you doing bad things, maybe. But inwardly, you'll still be just as sinful. Because all you've done is put a bunch of rules and rules and rules. 
and not looking to Jesus to clean you. You can think about it. Jesus uh, so many times said, you Pharisees, you're, you're, you're like someone who washes the outside of a cup, yet inside the cup is all dirty. You're like someone who, who whitewashes, you know, paints a tomb. They make it really pretty on the outside, but on the inside, it's just full of dead bones. That's, that's what these rules are. Also, you know, closely associated to the, the do's, you know, you have these don'ts. But that is not true religion. It's, it's, it's separated from Christ, so it really doesn't have its power. So what does that look like in our day? What are these ways that we can feel intimidated, uh, you know, check our own spiritual uh, maturity and, and even the maturity of others, these extra-biblical things? What does this look like? Well, I think some people might think, well, obviously you can't watch an R-rated movie. Well, I mean, unless it's The Passion of the Christ, we can watch that one, but no other R-rated movie. How could you, a Christian watch that? You might say, well, you can't read non-Christian books. I remember in middle school, um, one of my friends, his mom literally burned his books out in the yard. It was so funny to me at the time. Now it's a little more serious because I'm like, man, that, that might have been a little crazy. They, they were very neutral books, nothing wrong with them. They just weren't Christian books. It might be, you must not drink wine, beer, or smoke a cigarette. Those things obviously make you, you can't be a Christian and do those things. I mean, sure, it's not actually in the Bible, but I mean, think about it. We don't do that. It's extra biblical. How about this? You can't listen to certain styles of music and be a Christian. You can't wear certain styles of clothes and be a Christian. You, you can't do those things. You can't live in those certain nice neighborhoods. You can't drive certain nice cars. You can't wear certain nice clothes if you're a Christian. That's the, the, all these restrictions. So let me ask you, are any of those inherently sinful? Well, I'll, I'll give us a guide. If the Bible doesn't explicitly prohibit something, we should be very, very slow to call it sinful. We should be very slow to call it sinful. Now, are there principles in the Bible? I, I, I realize this. Are there principles in the Bible by which we should make wise decision and let them govern our choices? Absolutely. Absolutely. I talked about the R-rated movies. The Bible makes it very clear we should not be looking on naked people. <laughs> so that should guide what movies we watch. You know, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink, but it makes it very clear, don't get drunk. And then it also gives many other principles by which you should make those decisions. Is it a stumbling block? Is it something that the, the, the Spirit's okay with you doing? Will you glorify God with your whole life while you're drinking? Okay, certain styles of clothes. You, really, there, there's no prohibitions on what styles of clothes you can't wear, but the Bible makes it very clear to dress modestly. We see um, as well, um, yeah, with that, that, the nice houses and stuff. Is there a cap on, no, no, people shouldn't buy this expensive of a house. You go below that cap and it's okay. No, we, we, we live within our means. We live generously, we give generously, and we trust God. And I would also say there's some wisdom Obviously, and this is kind of going with these principles and not doing some of these things at all. There are some things on this list even that I don't do. And it would actually be sin for me to do because that is the way the Holy Spirit has led me as I've prayed through it and, and read his scripture. So there is wisdom. Just because you have a freedom does not mean you should do something. <laughs> uh, there, there's this opposite side of this. 
And I've, I've, been, uh, I've seen this quite a bit. There's this opposite side that says, no, if you have a freedom, you, you need to use it. And they actually intimidate people in the other way. What do you mean you don't drink? Huh, you must be one of those weak Christians who, who, don't, who don't use your, your freedom to drink. I say, really, I'm a weak Christian. I'm exercising my freedom not to drink. <laughs> you know, and th- but this is opposite side of intimidation. We see all these things. So what I'm saying here, true Christians don't live by a set of arbitrary, man-made rules. They, they don't judge their spirituality or the spirituality of others by whether or not they do certain things or don't do certain things. A Christian focuses on Jesus, following him, pleasing him, and the rest follows. When you're truly focused on Jesus, you, you won't watch raunchy movies. When you're truly focused on Christian, you won't cause your friend to stumble by what you eat or what you drink. If you're truly focused on Jesus, you won't listen to music or wear clothes that takes attention off of Jesus. But we need to be very careful, once again, to call things sin that are not sin uh, explicitly in the Bible. And we need to be even more careful uh, the way we tell people, no, 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 you can't do that, when the Bible doesn't tell them not to. Now, parents, I would say, have, have some governance here in the way <laughs> they do this, but even then, they should teach them, that, you know, this is, this is our, we're using wisdom here and desiring to glorify God. We're, we're not just following a set of man-made rules. So those things, by the way, it said there, these have, have no power, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They're not making you any godlier if all it is is a bunch of rules. I think that these things are probably more prevalent than you would ever believe in the Christian church. I know that I grew up with, with different levels of, of each of these. I know that I still struggle. I still swing between being the older brother and the younger brother and the prodigal son. Oh, I can do whatever I want, and the, well, I should be loved because I'm good. I know I still swing on these things. But I want us to see how serious these warnings are, that people can seem very spiritual, be very religious, but not even be saved, much less growing by doing these things. And I think it's incredibly common for, for teachers, you know, preachers, Sunday school leaders to teach a bunch of do's and don'ts, but not show them how Christ gives them that power. I think it's very common for, for church leaders and small groups to show us how to have these special spiritual experiences, yet they're not truly experiencing God the way he's shown them in his Bible, in the Bible. Listen to this, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. If you don't think uh, I'm serious here, it says, Not everyone, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Christ, us trusting Christ, being grown through Christ, humble under Christ, that is the will of God. That, not, not, not these prophecies, casting out demons and mighty works. These things follow only from faith in Christ, if they'll be pleasing to God. 
And so I would tell you, there are millions and millions and millions of people who think they're good. They're following a bunch of do's. They're following a bunch of don'ts. They're having these spiritual experiences, yet they will never experience God. They're playing a game and they're losing. And we're letting them. A lot of ways, the church in America is letting them. We're pushing these do's and don'ts and these spiritual experiences at the cost of true salvation. People being awakened to what they're truly missing. So let's look at at what we have here in these verses and see if we can't gather what true religion is. True religion, it says here in verse 17, after the the, uh, false teaching of self-achievement, it says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These doing these good things are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let's, let's apply that to us. When you do good deeds, are, are, are you looking to Christ for the power to do them? Or are you just doing what you're supposed to do? Are you, are you doing these good things because you love Jesus and want to serve Jesus? Or because you, you've always done them that way? You have to look to him. We, we shouldn't be fooled by our own good works in thinking that we're actually following Christ. We have to focus on Jesus. He is the substance. Verse 19, after talking about these uh, false spiritual experiences, it says they're holding on to these experiences, then verse 19, but not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Is your growth, the ways that you think you're growing, is it actually from God because you're clinging to the head, Christ? You're clinging to him more and more. You're seeing your need for him more and more. You're you're, you're seeking out the truth of him more and more. And because of that, you're receiving this growth? Or are you just having some experiences? Well, when I sang that song, I felt really warm and fuzzy, so I must be growing. We've got to be careful about these things. Verse 23, after talking about these man-made regulations, it again says, These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The implication there in this context is that seeking Jesus, now that's what stops the indulgence of the flesh. Your little rules, like, they're not going to do it. They're not going to cut it. They can't beat your flesh. They're not going to beat your sin. So let me ask, are you putting your flesh, your, your sin to death, by the power of Christ, His Spirit, Christ in you? Or are you fighting your sin with a bunch of rules so that you don't get caught, so that you look good, so that you feel good about yourself? It says there it's of no value of stopping the indulgence of the flesh to just seem better outwardly. We need Jesus. We need to beg him to change our hearts. Yes, loving Jesus will make you do things. Yes, loving Jesus will let you experience God. And yes, loving Jesus will regulate what you do. But it won't be because you're focused on a list of rules, do's and don'ts, and seeking these spiritual experiences. They'll be because you're seeking Jesus. They'll be because you're wanting to please and experience Jesus in in truth. So I want to say, if you realize today, oh no, 
I may have just been following a list of rules. I may just have been feeling these little uh, emotional experiences and not really God. God can change that today if you ask him. God, help me to have Jesus truly. God, help me. I've, I've been following just this religion and not had a relationship with Jesus. God, help me to have that true relationship. And other of us might say, okay, I'm pretty convinced I'm a Christian, but I might dabble in those false teachings from time to time. I'll tell you guys, it makes a big difference, these things, how, how, we, how we treat them, even if we're saved. I have people, it's pretty common, especially because I'm, I'm a preacher and a pastor, where people will um, apologize to me and ask me the craziest questions, and they just make these assumptions you know, um, I mean, I've been in people's cars, they're like, oh, sorry for having a secular radio on. Like, okay. You know, oh, sorry, I, I, I was drinking a beer when you walked up. I don't know. I haven't even have them say, oh, sorry, we're having pork today. <laughs> like, I'm not a Jew. It's okay. <laughs> but anyways, you know, it's, it's funny, but we as the church, we set these standards up. No, no, Christians don't do that. Christians don't do that. Christians do these things. And the church sees that rather than the truth of God flowing through people that have truly been changed from the heart by Jesus. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. People, again, are being led to the the slaughter because they don't even realize where they're headed. They say, well, I'm following those rules just like that Christian, so I must be good. I'm a pretty good person, just like Christians, and that's really all they do. That's what happens when we separate ourselves from Christ. Self-experience self-achievement, self-achievement, self-experience, self-denial, all of those are focused on the self rather than Christ. We have to be very careful that we're tainting our religion, that we're being intimidated or intimidating others with our rules, with our gauges. Guys, there's freedom and joy in, in serving and worshiping Jesus and Him alone. Let's pray. Father God, we've seen from your word, from from what Paul told us, that there are many ways that we can have our eyes taken off Jesus, that we can stray from your path. And God, any who realize that they were just on a path of religion, would you save them today, God? Would you give them the power and the clarity to trust in your son Jesus rather than their man-made religion. God, and give us as a church, those who do make up the body of believers, the strength to represent you well in a world that misses the point of Christianity so often. But it's, it's our fault. It's our fault. We, we show them that, that works are the point. We show them that this hyper-spirituality is the point. We don't point them to Christ. God, would you help us to do that? Would you point our hearts to Christ that we can do the same for others. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. We'll be taking communion here in a moment, and um, that, that's your chance. That's your opportunity to uh, repent to God, to ask him to, to help you to do these things, to thank him for what he has done for you in Christ alone. Mike.